Morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, my name is Bruce Narvison. I'm one of the elders serving you here at Redeemer. You may be seated. Um, it's interesting that I have the privilege of reading the scriptures today. As a believer, there's times when God reveals certain truths to you in the word, and Romans 12 was pivotal in my own walk, particularly uh, verse 2 of being not conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So uh, it would be my privilege to read Romans 12 this morning, and if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, I encourage you to pull out your Bible or a device so you can look at Romans 12. Um, also encourage you to, I think, a way to feel connected even from your home is by sending texts to each other, taking pictures of your family, worshiping together, putting it on the private Facebook page, just to remind ourselves we're not alone. Uh, it's great to have photos from you that have been on the Facebook page or printed out. And so I get to see some of you here on the chairs. So it's good to be with you. Last week, we looked at Psalm 100, a psalm that's at the summit or the pinnacle of God's psalms of kingship, telling us all that he's accomplished and how the wor world's going to worship him, that they're going to recognize that he is the good shepherd who has cared for them and loved them. And so there's these, there were seven commands in that psalm to know him, worship him, praise him, bless his name. And it was all rooted in the very nature of his character because God is God, because he is good, and because he is love. And out of his loving goodness, he has shown his unfailing kindness to rescue us. And so there was this grammar that we talk about. I know it's summer, we don't want to think about grammar, but there's kind of statements of fact we call indicatives. And then there's commands, which we call imperatives. And so these commands, these imperatives, are always rooted in and built on the fact of truth, who God is. So last week we saw we were made to worship God, to enjoy him and live for him, but we didn't get very detailed. This morning we're going to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, which will give us a similar gospel grammar but then get very specific on what it looks like both to love God and to love our neighbor. So this morning, you're going to have plenty of opportunity for application 
to think about what it looks like for me to love God and to love my neighbor. Possibly some such detail that you might feel overwhelmed. Uh, but again, that's why we need the hope of the gospel and the statements of what God has done through Jesus to help us not be buried under the weight of the commands. So let me pray for us. Father, help us as we sit under the truth of your word. May your spirit really change us and transform us so that we both desire and are able to keep the commands that you're putting before us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There's a great quote that I saw last week. It says, we're fascinated with, our so- with ourselves, but the Psalms are fascinated with God. And if the Psalms are fascinated with God, I would say the Apostle Paul is fascinated with God. In fact, the first 11 chapters of Romans, he is fascinated with all that God is and all that God has done. What about you? Would you say you're fascinated with God? Would you say that you like God? I know we're supposed to love him, but do you like him? Do you think about his character and all that he's done and think, man, I'm glad this is my God that he is for me. And as you think about that too, do you really grasp how much he loves you and what he has done for you? Because Paul spends 11 chapters trying to make sure you understand that. He begins by saying, look, I I want you to realize that this, this confusion, this struggle in your life, this sense that you don't belong or life isn't the way it's supposed to be, that's because of sin and your alienation with God. But God in his love has pursued you and he has shown you that by faith in Jesus you can be united to him, that God made peace, Christ made peace with God through his death on the cross. And even though our sin might increase, his grace increases all the more and now we're free from having to live for sin, we can live for him. And then he goes through this great section in Romans 8 that we're going to unpack this summer that there's no condemnation from God, that we're adopted by God, loved by God. Nothing can separate us from his love. And then we come to chapter 12, which is this hinge. After he spent 11 chapters trying to get the indicatives, the statements, the foundation of our faith, 12 is the hinge by now where he begins to say, okay, so now here's how God's love for you and the fact that you're now an adopted son or daughter loved by him Given his spirit, this is how you should live. So look with me at chapter 12. So therefore I appeal to you, he's he's saying, because of all that I've said in chapters 1 through 11 about the mercies of God, because of all that Christ has done, this is how I want you to live. I want you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, some translations say your reasonable or your logical worship. So again, because of what God's done, because Jesus gave everything for you, you're to give everything for him, your minds and your bodies. See, he wants your eyes and what they see, your mouth and what it says, your hands and what they do, your feet and where they take you to be lived for him. And then they use this language of presenting your body as a living sacrifice. Well, in the Old Testament, one of the major sacrifices was the sin offering. They would find the perfect spotless lamb. They would take its blood and put it on the atonement seat of the Holy of Holies to symbolically represent your sin being covered in blood. And we know that Jesus is the final 
sacrificial offering, the Lamb of God who came and gave his life upon the cross, dying to cover our sin. So what kind of sacrifice is it talking about here? It's the Thanksgiving offering. And that was one of response saying, okay, thank you for covering my sin. Now here's, here's something really valuable. You take one of your most prized animals that is spotless and perfect and say, Lord, this is yours. It's a symbol of me giving you everything. My eyes, my mouth, my ears, my hands, my feet. Everything is yours. So we're dying to ourselves that we might live to him. That's what he's calling us to do because Jesus died and and gave all of himself. We're to give all of ourselves to the Lord. Again, because of what Jesus did, this is how we're to live, this indicative, this imperative. We're new people and all that he has done. And essentially he's reminding us, you belong to God. So therefore you need to live for him. And then he begins to go and say, all right, how are you going to do that? Well, you've got to be transformed, not conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All of us are renewing our mind. All of us are filling our mind. We're being discipled by something. So what we watch, what we listen to, what we see, uh, the conversations we have, we're being discipled and, and our mind is being filled. So what, what is filling your mind? Is, is it the way the world thinks about things or is it how God views things? So often we can kind of just get in this place where we just listen to similar voices. Uh, Ross, who you just saw, our assistant, has been asked, I heard him ask this one kind of get-to-know-you question that I thought was incredibly insightful, but maybe a little provocative for some. He said, so what's your news source? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to multiple sources? Or is there really only one channel that really brings the truth? What you're listening to is shaping you whether it's the news or music or movies. And what Paul's saying is here, look, don't be conformed and shaped by the world's views because no matter what your news source is, no matter what songs you listen to, they might have some common grace with God, but they're not God's words for how we're to be shaped. We need to be taking God's word to read life, not reading life through these other things and coming back to the scriptures. See, scriptures are the lens by which we need to view life, not the other way around. I want to view the scriptures by how I'm interpreting the world. So we need to renew our minds. We need to be in God's word. We need to be reflecting and fascinated on the first 11 chapters of Romans. All that God's done for us. Why we were made. What we were made to do and to be. So that we can actually discern from God what is his will. What's good and acceptable and perfect. How to live. Well, we don't have time to go through 3 through 8 or 9 through 13. You might wonder why am I skipping those because about a year ago, which I'm sure all of you remember, I preached on. And I'm sure you have it down pat too, right? I don't, but maybe you do. See, verses 3 through 8, we're really talking about, all right, what does it look like to live with each other? And it says essentially in 3 to 8, look, we belong to each other. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're different parts of the body and we need each other. And so that was just saying, look, you have gifts and talents and you need to use them for the church, not just yourself. And then he goes through 9 through 14 and says, look, if the word of God's transforming your mind, it should transform how you live with each other. 
not just in words, but in actions. So use your gifts, but also love each other in actions. Be a transformed community so that the world sees, man, those Christians really love each other. That is a unique community of people. I want some of what they have. And then as we come to 14, he's, he's kind of moving out, all right? Here's how we live as the church. Now what happens when we begin to interact with a world that doesn't see things like we do? They realize we're transformed and that we're actually citizens of heaven living in Raleigh, not people of Raleigh who are trying to make our way to heaven. Our emphasis, our greatest truth is we are in Christ as we live here now and live out our life. So 14 says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. And it's interesting, he goes, and Paul often does this, will say, here's some negatives, here's things you shouldn't do, but here's what you should do. And throughout this section, you can hear the teaching of Jesus. Paul's remembering that and he's beginning to apply it and says, this is what life should look like for you. So he says, don't curse people. And that doesn't mean cuss at that. That means don't, don't bring judgment on them. We'll unpack that in a minute. It says, don't be proud. Don't take vengeance. And don't be overcome by evil. And then he gives something else to put on. It's not just enough to not do certain things. But I really like how one uh, person summarized these. He says this, look, Christians are to bring blessing. Christians are to seek harmony. And Christians are to overcome evil. All right, so the, that's how I want to kind of group these as we look at them together. And man, it just is amazing how this is so appropriate, I think, for us in light of what's happened the last couple of weeks, to say, am I loving people well? Am I loving those different than me? These, so even as we go through these, think, man, what has this been like for me? Have I been blessing people? Have I been bringing blessing? Have I been seeking harmony and peace? And have I been coming over evil with good? All right, so let's look at these together. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Because of God's mercy to us, wherever we go, we should bring blessing. I mean, don't you want to be that kind of person that where you go, people are like, man, I am so glad they were here. They brought blessing to everybody. They brought goodness and healing and peace. See, that blessing and cursing is Old Testament language. For those who are following after God, there is peace and salvation and shalom. There's blessing from following after God and living in the way of God. And those who don't live in the way of God, who don't follow how he's kind of made life to work, comes the cursing of God, the judgment of God. And so what he's asking us, look, hey, I want you to come. I want you to bring the blessing of God to people who are around you, even those who persecute you. Don't shun them. Don't fight back. Don't curse them. Later, he says, don't bring vengeance against them, but bring blessing. Love them. This one person said 15 is actually kind of an application or an illustration of what does it look like to bless someone? Well, it says this, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. One of the things that is beautifully illustrated by the very coming of Jesus, his coming in the flesh, his being with us. One of his names, Emmanuel, God with us. 
Paul is reminding us, not only are we not to strike back against our enemies, to love our enemies, but to pray for them. And here he's saying, I want you to enter into their story. I want you to be able to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And I want you to be able to, to weep with those who weep. For some of you, and I think probably for me, sometimes it's harder to rejoice with people who are rejoicing. Because sometimes what they're rejoicing in, I want some of that. And so it's sometimes hard to not be envious and say, man, I wish I had some of that. So for some people, it may be hard to rejoice in pregnancy or the birth of a child because you want that. Or maybe in someone's promotion or at a wedding or just in their family and some things going on, you think, man, I, I want some of that. But when we can say, Lord, you're at work in me. Your mercies are true for me. You love me. You are with me. I can rejoice in what you're doing in someone else's life. I can be present with them and say, man, this is a blessing of God. And it's also, I think, called upon us to weep with those who weep. For some of us, that may be hard. We don't like weeping. We don't know how to enter into pain and yet think of Jesus who saw Jerusalem and wept because they were sheep without a shepherd who saw his friend's tomb and wept even though he's going to bring him back to life he wept over what was going on we are to enter in to weeping with those who weep which I think is an incredible application for what's going on right now I listened to a talk by a pastor named Mika Edmondson and he said look one of the things that can be done in the midst of heartache and grief, both for individuals and for our nation, is to weep when people are weeping. To see what's going on in people's lives, to enter into their story. We may not agree with their story, we may not understand it, but to be able to go, I want to be with you in that pain. When we are deeply hurt or angry, there's something about our bodies that doesn't enable us often to think logically. I, I can remember when I was wrestling with the diagnosis of my wife's cancer coming back the second time, and someone was just trying to just give me facts and things, and I'm like, I don't want to hear that. I want you to be with me in my pain for the moment. God calls us to do that with, that, with people, to enter into their story, because when we validate those emotions, whether we understand them or agree with why they're there, then we can begin to allow our bodies to calm down to a place that we can think and enter into truth and allow the scriptures and the character of God to speak comfort or hope or blessing to us. So we're called to bring blessing. Are you that kind of person? Are you the one who's always kind of bringing the cursing, the negative, the one kind of saying, no, nah, this is... This is the way it should be. Are you sitting with people in their story trying to be compassionate as Christ has been compassionate with us? Well, then he moves on and he's kind of bleeding back into our, I think, our relationship with believers in verse 16 and 17 and 18. But it also plays out with people outside the church. He says this, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Isn't that really at the very heart of most of our arguments, right? We know we're the right one. We have the logic, we have the argument, we have the pathos. And that other person needs to see what we see. 
instead of really sitting and listening to their story, trying to understand how maybe we're on the same page, maybe we're not, but how are we thinking about this? Now, it's interesting because you might say, well, who are the lowly? Who are the people you don't have time for, for whatever reason? They'll never change. They don't see it your way. They don't agree with you. They aren't cool enough. They aren't rich enough. They aren't whatever it might be. He's saying, don't you see this? You need to not be proud and arrogant, always thinking you're wise in your own sight. And I'll tell you, this is challenging. As I get older, thankfully, I'm wiser and smarter than I was when I was 20. But I don't know everything. I know more. I need humility to not always think, oh, I understand this. I got this figured out. There needs to be humility that we would enter in and move towards the lowly. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't sit on the throne and say, they're not worth it? But God humbled himself to the point of death to rescue us, to enter into our world in the flesh, in the incarnation, which we're called to do into the lives of other people. Are you one who brings people together? Or are you a divider? Do you tend to find the fracture and push people this way? Or are you trying to draw them and bring them into the presence of Christ, to the kingdom of Christ Or do you stir up trouble? So you see, there's this call to be a blessing, to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those, to bring harmony, to bring people towards Christ, to to be humble as you do that, to not be repaying evil with evil. And as far as it's up to you to be peaceful with one another. But then it says we overcome evil with good. Don't take out vengeance, verse 19. Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Instead, serve your enemy. Any of you struggle with that? I think there can even be a bit of a cancel culture in the church. Like, okay, I I will forgive you, but I'm not going to move towards you. I'm just going to kind of keep my distance. Sure, there may be times when that is appropriate depending on what's going on. But many times, for kind of garden variety, usual breaches in relationships, he's calling us to be moving towards people, to serve them, to give them food, to give them drink. Again, how Jesus moved towards us in our sin while we were enemies, so that you bring healing and blessing and harmony. And that you're doing it not by trying to overcome evil with evil the way other people do it in the world. You're to be different. We are to be different as followers of Jesus. How we resolve conflict, how we approach conflict, how we approach difficult and hard conversations and people who don't see eye to eye to us, we come with humility to be a blessing, to bring as much as we can peace to this situation in the ways that Christ did. One of which... Our greatest weapons is prayer. He talks about that in another book. The weapons we have are love and prayer as we humbly come to model Christ. Do you see how we could be crushed by these commands? It'd be easy to say, I just can't do that. 
and we can get lost. Or we take the other route, we become legalists. What I mean by that is we shrink the law small enough so we can actually say, oh, I can do that. This is what it means to obey. And we don't have the radical, massive demands of love that Jesus has. We shrink it down to where we can accomplish it so we feel pretty good about ourselves. Instead, instead of shrinking it and being overwhelmed, we have to come back to the principles, therefore in view of God's mercies, in view of all that Jesus has done for me, I have the ability, given his spirit, adopted by him, to love in ways that are beyond myself. Friends, these commands will crush you unless you keep in view God's mercies. Or you'll shrink these commands that you'll become a bit like the legalistic Pharisees and miss real mercy and justice and love. So what does it look like to love? What does it look like to live a life of worship of God and our neighbor? Well, he gives us this barrage of commands. Are you that blessing? Are you that peacemaker? Are you that one who's overcoming evil by good? Only by Jesus, who's the ultimate peacemaker, the one who brought blessing and not condemnation, only through his work can we really overcome evil by good. As we rest in the power of the gospel, as we immerse ourselves in all that Jesus has done, as we're captivated and, and captured by him, only then will we desire and be able to love as he has loved us. May God make us individuals and a church that bring blessing, that weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, who seek to be peacemakers and who follow God's good ways of overcoming evil. Let me pray for us. Father, these commands are overwhelming, but even more overwhelming is that where our sin increases, your grace increases all the more. So the good news is there is no condemnation in Christ. Nothing can separate us from your love. But instead, we can become slaves to righteousness, servants to living for you. So Lord, we pray, help Redeemer be a blessing. Help Redeemer be peacemakers as we seek harmony. Help Redeemer to overcome evil with good, that we would be a light to Raleigh, to our nation, to the very ends of the earth, that Christ would be known. We pray you would do this by the renewing of our minds, by the work of your spirit. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.